Tonight's talk is Sati Sampachanya, Mindful Clear Comprehension. The Pali words Sati and Sampachanya usually are translated as mindfulness and clear comprehension. The qualities of the mind central to most Buddhist traditions. To begin with, I would like to read the introduction part of the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha's discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. In this famous discourse, the path to liberation is expounded in terms of a method of meditation, so quite relevant for us here. It says, Thus I have heard. At one time, the Blessed One was living among the Kurus at Kamasadama, a market town of the Kuru people. There, the Blessed One addressed the monks thus. This is the one way for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the destroying of pain and grief, for reaching the right path, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. What for? Here one dwells in the body, contemplating the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, without attachment and aversion to the world, which means equanimous. One dwells in the feeling tones, contemplating the feeling tones, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful without attachment and aversion to the world. And number three, one dwells in the heart and mind, contemplating the heart and mind, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful without attachment and aversion to the world. And number four, one dwells on objects of the heart and mind, contemplating objects of the heart and mind ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, without attachment or aversion to the world. So with mindfulness and clear comprehension, one contemplates body, feelings, mind states, and other experience, diligently or ardently, without clinging or aversion, as far as that's possible. Mindfulness. So these days, mindfulness is much spoken of. Many psychotherapeutic approaches see mindfulness as an important element in their methods of treatment. Mindfulness gets recommended and applied to stress, to chronic depression, chronic pain, and other ailments. Mindfulness is being researched and analyzed at universities a lot of very helpful, worthwhile, and wonderful work is being done in this area. Within the field of mindfulness, as we practice it here as an aspect of insight meditation, there's yet another dimension. That's the dimension of liberation. We're sometimes given the impression that is 
it is mindfulness that leads to this liberation. True is that right, appropriate mindfulness is an essential quality on the path to liberation. But it's not quite enough. It needs to be supported by or needs to lead into a quality of understanding, a quality of wisdom. And it's the factor of Sampachanya, of clear comprehension, who takes care of that. For this to really make sense, we need to be clear on what's meant by liberation. Sometimes when we hear the word freedom or liberation, we think of freedom of choice, our favorite beer brand, Budweiser instead of Heineken, or the breakfast cereals, organic, organic muesli instead of, what is it, Kellogg's or whatever, <laughs> or conservative instead of Democrat or the other way around. And these are certainly freedoms, especially the political ones, important freedoms. But what's inner freedom, what's liberation in a spiritual sense, the way the Buddha understood it? It means, strictly speaking, to be free of klesha and karma. And in very short, this means to be free of deluded perception of reality and to be free of the corresponding unwholesome, painful emotions, such as desire, attachment, irritation, hatred, envy, jealousy, conceit, and all the rest. That's what is meant by being free of the klesha. And this, of course, is the ultimate goal of Buddhist practice, not necessarily the goal of this one retreat here, but it really points the direction. And I think it's important to see that direction, even it may be quite a ways to that goal. And that's to be free of kilesha. To be free of karma means, in short, to be free from all the many painful inner and outer habits. So liberation from klesha and karma, therefore, is the freedom from all inner suffering. That's really a big deal, of course. The Buddha said, what is this goal? It is the cessation of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's the end of suffering. And for those thus liberated, in whose heart dwells peace, there's nothing left to be done in terms of practice. Still is their heart and free. Only correct practice and meditation will lead us in this direction. And here in this context, this means sati, mindfulness alone, is not sufficient on this path. We also need clear comprehension. Mindfulness definitely is an essential aspect of meditation. And yet mindfulness is a mental factor, a mental quality that is also being applied and developed in entirely different circumstances. 
think of a burglar. Burglar, I imagine, needs to be very mindful when he or she wishes to enter a house unnoticed. Hunters need to be mindful and concentrated if they want to successfully stalk and shoot game. It takes mindfulness. Many athletes, and even more so dancers, mimes, and other performers need to cultivate a high quality mindfulness and presence in order to exercise their art on a high level. So many of these people should therefore be quite enlightened, quite liberated with all this mindfulness. It is said that in a Pali text, sati, mindfulness, appears almost always together with sampajanya, so mindfulness and clear comprehension. This is an essential point. As it is said in the Satipatthana discourse, I just quoted from, and I repeat, one dwells in the body or feelings or mind, clearly comprehending and mindful of both. Sati, mindfulness, I guess, is clear. To be awake and present in direct contact with the experience of the moment, with the experience of this moment. <clears throat> That's what we have been practicing here. That's what we are practicing here. <clears throat> mindfulness enables us to see things as they are. Tsongyi Rinpoche says, Tibetan Lama says, it's like looking into the mirror in the morning before we shave and beautify our face, like we see things as they are. Not so flattering his way of <laughs> describing it, but <laughs> it's interesting. Now what's Sampachanya exactly? The term, the word is related to Panya, to insight, to liberating wisdom. It's been translated as clearly conscious or as clear comprehension. We could say maybe it's a not yet mature form of wisdom. There's an illustration given to, to see the different functions of mindfulness and clear comprehension. A goat is being tied to a stake by a length of rope, while the shepherd sits on the hill nearby and surveys the area. So the rope is the mindfulness which keeps the attention connected to the object. It's a very direct, immediate contact. The shepherd here in this image is like clear comprehension aware of the wider context. There's a somewhat of an overview over what's going on. Nyanaponika Mahatera writes about this clear comprehension. It says, the mind cannot avoid defining its position to itself and to the outer world and issuing orders for action innumerable times during the day Mind has to choose, to decide, to discern. And it's clear comprehension which is, which is concerned with the greater part of our life, the active one. It should become the regulative force of all our activities, bodily, verbal, and mental. And its task is to make them 
purposeful and efficient, accordant with reality, with our ideals, and with the highest level of our understanding. So in this sense, clear comprehension is knowledge or wisdom based on right mindfulness, based on right attentiveness. Simply put, it's mindfulness together with the clear, directive, and realistic kind of wisdom. What for and when and where does and how does one apply this clear comprehension? I already explained what for, for the purpose of liberation. The Venerable Nyanaponika offers a few more details. He says, comprehension serves the purpose of insight, of training and molding the heart and mind, and ultimately of liberation. So we need this clear comprehension not only for liberation, but also to train and cultivate our hearts and minds, to weaken desire, aversion and ignorance, and to develop generosity, kindness and wisdom. In fact, there's many levels to it and many ways in which it is applied. When should we cultivate mindful, clear comprehension? Of course, any time and always as much as we're able to. So not just on retreats or while we sit, but as much as possible, any time in life. As the text says, an art of living which we will enable one to utilize each activity as an aid on the path is indispensable. And certainly within the retreat, there's not just the sitting and the walking, but all the many areas, all the many activities that happen throughout the day to make them really uh, areas of practice and areas also of understanding. Where should we apply this mindful, clear comprehension? Again, of course, everywhere. So first I'd like to mention a few general examples, not specially Dharma related, but more in terms of a comprehensive overall view or awareness of our behavior and conduct. A couple of very simple, but I don't know here, but in our center, quite classic examples from a possible retreat situation where we all try to be specially mindful. And this is not referring to any one of us here, okay? Very mindful and very slowly I pick and choose and serve my lunch food without noticing at all that there are 47 more people behind me all hoping to get some lunch too. Or perhaps very mindfully I put my used dirty cup on a shelf or windowsill or table without realizing for one moment that the area has been beautifully decorated to give the meditators here a sense of beauty and care. What may be missing here is probably not mindfulness, 
I mean, who knows? But there can be a lot of care in placing the dirty cup and, and you know, doing that action. But there's one piece missing, and that's sort of seeing the appropriateness or the inappropriateness of what we are about to do, a sort of more panoramic, clear comprehension. My own example, when I first clearly noticed the difference between mindfulness and clear comprehension, was on a long retreat here at IMS about 25, 30 years ago. My room was in the back of the annex, and I had to get something in the dining hall. And I started walking very mindfully, step by step. Just here, before entering the meditation hall, I sort of woke up, and I'd crossed the dining hall very mindfully. I mean, I wasn't somehow gone. I was really mindful with my body sensations, feet moving, without remembering at all um, that I needed to get something from the dining hall, not from the meditation hall. So it's like two different things, and it was quite obvious in that context. So this kind of mindfulness without clear comprehension, that's one level. In text, texts, it further says about clear comprehension. One knows that one is bending the arm, one knows that one is stretching the arm. So the mindfulness is immediate direct contact with the sensations in the arm. Clear comprehension knows what's happening, such as bending and stretching. Or it says, one knows that one is looking to one side, one knows that one is looking to the other side. don't know if you ever found yourself walking carefully and somehow the head goes like this, and we're not quite aware of it. So it's not just mindfulness not just the sensation of turning one's head, and it's not just mindfulness of seeing, but also knowing where the eyes go, what is going on, what is going within. We need also this overview. Where exactly should we apply clear comprehension? That is explained as the four foundations in the body, the four postures, walking, of standing, of sitting, of lying down, and actually in between, going from one to the other. Then in a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral felt sense of each experience, of how it feels in this moment. Then in the heart and mind, with all its impulses, emotions, and mental factors. And in all the other sense experiences, such as seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, thinking, and all of that. And we will, of course, within the next couple of days, formally introduce all this as uh, objects of meditation. So simply put, anytime, everywhere, with every experience of the moment, as far as we're able. Now, what's particularly important in 
insight meditation or vipassana is clear comprehension with regard to the nature of our experience. And that's all about paying attention or keeping an eye on what's called the general characteristics of all things, of all experiences. And that's the most important function of Sampajanya. These characteristics are change and impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and non-self. And I'll say more about this in a moment. When our mindfulness and our clear comprehension serve the purpose of deeply understanding and deeply experiencing these characteristics, then we're on the way to inner freedom. To sit here or walk or stand and to be really mindful is good. To be here, to be really mindful and have clear comprehension of constant change, of the dynamic, non-graspable nature of our moment-to-moment experience. That is excellent. That's exactly what the Buddha expressed in another discourse. How is clear comprehension to be understood? When bending or stretching the arm, one understands impermanence thoroughly. When looking straight ahead or looking to one side, one understands impermanence thoroughly. It's the understanding of the impermanence of all things, of the non-graspability of beingness, of the way we create suffering for ourselves. that which causes or compels the mind to let go to stop grasping, to stop holding on so tightly, which in turn leads to the end of suffering, which is what liberation means. And that's true in general, you know, to the complete path, and that's also true in a moment-to-moment fashion. We hold on tightly to something, we realize that it's, we, we see, we, Notice its changing nature, and we see that holding on to something which is changing causes trouble, and we let go. So we experience a liberation in that very moment. Now the question of how. How do we practice sati, sampajanya? It says atape, diligently, with continuity, with interest, with perseverance. Or we could speak of thoroughness. Thoroughness not in the sense of tightness, but in the sense of real interest. Mindfulness has to be thorough in its immediate, direct contact with the moment-to-moment experience, body sensations, sound, mental attitudes. Clear comprehension should be thorough in its interest in the nature of things. Again, the nature of sensations, of sounds, of mental attitudes, of thoughts, of emotions. And the nature meaning, again, their ever-changing nature, their unsatisfactoriness, and their impersonality or non-self-existence. 
that's the direction this goes as a last point I like it's a long point I'd like to talk about a fourfold division of clear comprehension as mentioned in the commentaries which I find interesting there are clear comprehension of purpose and goal the clear comprehension of suitability and benefit they're what's called clear comprehension of domain which means the meditation domain and number four clear comprehension of non-delusion so the first purpose and goal here means we keep an eye on what's essential in our life and in our retreat and in our meditation it makes sense to have a general clarity you know about what we're doing here we remember our purpose and goals doesn't mean that moment to moment we have to ask ourselves of what I'm doing here but we generally have a sense of where this is leading and what the means are the means comes next and in this context purpose and goals means that which leads to liberation liberation within ourselves liberation of others this clear comprehension of purpose and goal helps against idleness against aimlessness against distraction helps against some of our destructive emotional inner habits it helps us to do th those things we know to be truly supportive and healing like could have an example I'm on my way to the demonstration in support of human rights and autonomy for Tibet on my way there I meet a very old dear old friend haven't seen her for years we go and sit down in the next cafe to chat and exchange important or not so important news you know there goes the demonstration lack of clear comprehension of purpose and goal or very simply I leave the hall determined to go and do the walking meditation and somehow you know suddenly I find myself in the dining hall with a cup of tea in my hand I don't know how I got there again missing clear comprehension of purpose and goal second is clear comprehension of suitability and benefit it's about finding clarity about what supports and helps us on the path we understand which mind states are unwholesome and cause suffering like attachment craving aversion ill will we clearly understand which ones are wholesome and cause well-being for ourselves and others like kindness like generosity like wise mindfulness and we understand what it is that is liberating this means that we also understand which actions which activities which projects are meaningful and beneficial here or in life out there like 
Is it organizing parties or is it organizing meditation practice groups? Is it reading, mostly reading stories of intrigues, love and passion? Or is it more reading stories of wise and caring women and men? All to do with that kind of clear comprehension. It's this clear comprehension of suitability and benefit that is able to tell us. So purpose and goal, suitability. Third kind is the clear comprehension of what's called the domain of practice or meditation. It has to do with the integration of our spiritual practice or our dharma practice into our life. And as our interest and our devotion deepens, it has to do with the same thing but the other way around with the integration of our life into the Dharma, so that our life becomes our practice. Not so much, here's our life, and there are pieces of practice in our life, but it's the other way around. In very practical terms, in this context, this implies also that our recognition of reality, its impermanent, its non-graspable nature deepens which in turn widens our inner freedom and strengthens our connectedness with all of life. So purpose and goal, suitability and benefit, practice domain. The fourth and last aspect is clear comprehension of non-delusion, which refers to a final, ultimate seeing through the illusion of permanence, of solidity, of personal separateness, and of any kind of self-existence. Yanaponikatera writes about this aspect. Clear comprehension removes, through the clear light of an unclouded understanding of actuality, the deepest, most obstinate delusion in humans, the delusion of I or self. And here we have arrived at the heart of Buddhist meditation. It's also the title of his book. It's liberating insight into the true nature of being, our own and that of all life. I'd like to get a bit more in, into this aspect. We've seen that mindfulness and clear comprehension have to be thorough in their interest in the nature of things. It's Sampajanya that notices the fact that every experience, every experience at any moment, arises, changes right away and disappears, just to immediately be replaced by the next one, seamlessly. You know, if you look at this, it doesn't really matter so much what your meditation experience is. I mean, we really all want good, nice, hopefully pleasant meditation experiences. But really to see them arise, change, be replaced by the next one, it doesn't matter what it is. We can look at anything that comes and goes and we'll see that. You see what uh, Rumi writes about when he says, appearances come marching in one after the other. As soon as one has arrived, the next one shouts, get out of here, it's my turn. And it goes fast, if you really look, if you're really open to 
what's happening. Clear comprehension recognizes how much the things of this existence don't follow or obey our ideas or expectations. I don't know if you at all noticed in those two days that the mind and experience doesn't ask first, Fred, what, how should I be in this meditation? It does its thing. Everything arises and disappears according to its own laws, independence of causes and conditions. Whether it's within our bodies, our feelings, our mental states, whether it's our neighbor or our roommate or the weather or whatever. So in meditation, once we stop trying to create pleasant states and avoid unpleasant ones, but simply observe what's coming and going, then clear comprehension notices a tightly knit process of inner and outer perceptions, events, experiences in the body, the senses, the heart and mind, which mutually, mutually cause and condition and influence each other over and over and over again. Thich Nhat Hanh calls it interbeing. The Buddha called it dependent arising. We see reality, we see life in action. When we're present with mindful, clear comprehension, then insight or vipassana is happening or becomes possible. Now, an in interesting aspect of this I find is life, this dynamic process, which we are, for some reason, is in the habit of identifying with these moment-to-moment experiences. I see my partner, my car, and I have my hopes and my expectations and my fears with regards to them. Somehow the mind, which is part of this process, isolates out of the flow of experience. I, me, mine. And partly, of course, it's very practical and helpful, especially with partners and with cars. This kind of distinction is helpful and keeps us out of trouble. <laughs> Unfortunately, the mind does not only identify with I, me, mine, but also gets attached to it. That's where the delusion of I or self mentioned by Nyanaponikatera comes in. And with it, all the incredible lot of unnecessary suffering. Normally we experience what's called Atta in Pali, I or self, as distinctly separate beings, as entities somewhat disconnected from the flow of life. Maybe I'm up here, I'm getting really good in mindfulness, so I see the flow, everything comes and goes, comes and goes. But still, it happens to me. I'm somehow mysteriously sitting up here in a little house, little cabin behind the eyes, you know. Or in here, maybe. It's I as opposed to or as different from the rest of the world. 
When we see through this illusion, we experience anatta, non-self. We're still who we are, but the isolating self-perception, or you could say the selfing, falls away. And this brings relief and lets us experience the connectedness that's always been here. And there are two illustrations of this non-self business I'd like to share. I'll end with those two. The first one comes from my Tibetan teacher, Tsongyi Rinpoche. The fifth Dalai Lama, Ngawang Lopsan Gyatso, was living in the 17th century Tibet. He was known as the Great Fifth, great because he gathered a lot of power, he unified the country, and also because he built the Potala, the huge palace of the Dalai Lamas in Lhasa. Unfortunately, his death came prematurely. Political business was still pending and the palace construction was far from completed. So the regent, regent the representative, decided not to tell the people that the great Lama had died so everything could go on. For 13 years, this is true, this is historical fact, for 13 years he would say Kundun Dalai Lama is on retreat, or he would say, um, he sends such and such a message. It's practical huh, with people who do retreats. <laughs> he told me to do this and this. And eventually, after 13 years at an opportune moment, the regent announced that the fifth had died and the next, the sixth Dalai Lama had been discovered. Okay, we get the situation. So now, just as the fifth Dalai Lama during the 13 years was believed to exist, it was, one knew, everyone knew that he was existing. He was believed to exert influence and to make various important decisions. Even so, do we believe that somehow, somewhere within ourselves, there is something or someone who exists in a real, in a permanent, real way, exists, uh, exerts influence, makes decisions, and of course, needs to be supported, to be protected, to be praised, to be put into the right light, and so forth. It's a lot of trouble for something that isn't there, really. In our practice, we want to see through this delusion. We want to free ourselves of this deceptive view. And it's the clear comprehension of non-delusion that sees this. So here's the second illustration I'd like to share. And I find this one actually better. It's to do with the weather. I don't know if how clear I can explain it. But so among the ancient Germanic peoples in old Europe up until about the 8th century. Everyone knew that it is Wotan. Wotan? Is that how you would pronounce it? Who is the god of the weather? Who makes the weather? By the way, uh, Wednesday actually comes from Wotan's day. That's why it's called Wednesday. It's Wotan's. 
He could send life-supporting rains or destructive storms and hail. Every kid knew this. There were temples and sacrificial sites where people went to pray, asking to be spared from droughts or from floods. Probably they had to offer life sacrifices and sometimes Wotan would be merciful, other times not at all. So that's how people were living in fear and dread. Now today, when we watch the weather forecast on TV, the weather forecast person, perhaps Al Roker or whoever, explains to us the satellite images of the weather situation over North America. He points out the high and the low pressure areas, speaks of hectopascal degrees, whereby a warm southwesterly wind comes about and therefore rain on the East Coast, okay? Whether we really understand how this works or not, everyone knows that the weather is a living system of complex dependencies and conditions which is in constant motion. I think we all got that. No one for even a second believes that Wotan or anyone else is the weather is somehow in there and decides where and for whom the sun should shine or rain and hail will fall. See that? We may see these kinds of old pagan beliefs as very backward and smile at them somewhat condescendingly. And yet that's exactly what we do with life here, with the life which we are. Of course, we know it's a living dynamic system with blood pressure and emotional high or low pressure areas and all the rest. But there is someone within who has it, who is it. It's different. There is me, Fred. And what's most interesting about it, I feel it. I know it. <laughs> and yet, it's as naive as the belief in Wotan as being the weather. To believe that beyond all these causes and conditions with all the wonderful feelings and the difficult um, shadow sides we have and all of that, there's somebody, someone apart from it all who someone, somehow should be able to run the show. And just, you know, if you look here in meditation, how much hard work, how much difficulties we have just for the trying of arranged things, just one meditation, how much, how often, how much effort we put in making things different from how they are. We need to make the effort to be mindful. We need clear comprehension. That's important. But that's not enough. We want a specific kind of meditation. We want a specific kind of experience. And there's a tremendous amount of useless effort and hard work and suffering that we put in because we think there's somebody in there who eventually should be able to get into control. And there isn't. Just to see that, that's mindful 
clear comprehension. See, through exactly this delusion, this self-delusion, seeing through is unburdening, it's a relief. Not once and forever, but more and more often. Once we have seen through the belief in Wotan, the weather is still there, and that part is also important. Okay, we know it's not Wotan. It doesn't deny that there is weather. Non-Wotan doesn't mean there is no weather. In the same way, non-self doesn't mean somehow we dissolve into fresh air. It doesn't mean that, it also doesn't mean that we have to get rid of something, which is the good news. You know, this whole stuff on, you should really get rid of your ego. As if there were something extra in here we should somehow pull out and destroy. Or it's recognizing life as it is which liberates. Life as weather, life as Christina, life as John, no matter. And it's always itself and it's always non-self. No one has it or controls it or could possibly control it. And same time, completely connected, completely one. It's actually quite simple. It's a clear comprehension of non-delusion which understands this. So once we're established in the immediacy and connectedness of the mindfulness of sati and the overview of clear comprehension of sampajanya, we're well on the way to liberation. <laughs> Liberation from the deceptive, deluded ways of perception and of the tormenting, unwholesome emotions. I'd like to close with Kalu Rinpoche. When you practice the Holy Dharma, the clouds of suffering will slowly dissolve and the sun of wisdom and great joy will shine in the clear sky of your heart and mind. Could sit quietly for a moment. Thank you for your attention, interest. It's about 45 minutes for walking meditation and then a last sitting here together.